0: Hello and welcome to History 327. Uh, this is going to be our last lecture, actually. I'm a, li- I'm a little a little sad about that, but this will be our last lecture for the class. Um, I'll be putting up your study guide within a couple days on the class, so uh, make sure you- you're checking out Moodle regularly. In fact, I'll give you a chance right now to go to Moodle and uh, get the PowerPoint for today. So today is called 9/11 and what came after. And I was I was really f- trying to think of a framing device for what we're doing today, because um, I'm going to be going a lot more recent than I p- typically do in history classes. Uh, usually in history class, I will stop 10 years before present day because uh, you know once you're, once you're 10 years to you know less than 10 years away from something, it's very hard to get perspective. However, I think some of the tropes that we've been talking about actually do kind of overlap with what's going on nowadays, so uh, we'll talk about that. We're going to be ending in 2016. And the advice I'm going to go to is actually a book that I almost made required reading for this class. Go over one slide. It's a book called Watchmen. Uh, It's a graphic novel that came out in the uh, 1980s, I believe 1986, 1987, uh, was when Alan Moore, the, the writer, first made Watchmen. Um, it's theoretically a, just a comic book about superheroes and stuff, but it actually has some philosophical components, particularly when it comes to the Cold War. Uh, one of the things Al Moore is really talking about whenever he's writing this book is about the nature of the Cold War and what is it like with mutually assured destruction. Uh, the world of Watchmen is something akin to the world of our own, um, except superheroes are real, and some of them are actually very powerful. Few, most of them are just guys in suits. But one of them is a real, honest-to-God, overpowered uh, super individual by the name of Dr. Manhattan. Pretty much, he is a metaphor, he is a symbol for pretty much uh, nuclear power in real life. Uh, Basically, the idea that he is something that the Americans and the Soviets never do. Now, I'm not going to spoil the book. Um, However, I will be saying something kind of late, so there you go. Uh, If you've not read it, uh, I would recommend it. It's pretty good. I know HBO made a series about it recently. That is a sequel. I've not actually seen it yet. I have seen the crappy movie that came out about 10 years ago. I will not recommend that. But the end of Watchmen, uh, Dr. Manhattan, if you go over one slide, he's the blue guy. He's kind of the actual super-powered person. Uh, He he has the capacity of being able to experience pretty much everything at the same time because I'm not going to get into the world of the comic, but he becomes like subatomic. What what I do want you to know is this idea where basically he's talking to... um, Adrian Velt, who is also known as Ozymandias, who's another character, who has just completed this great big plan, uh, basically to try to end the Cold War, try to cause a unilateral agreement between the U.S. and Russia. Like I said, I'm not going to get into what actually happens in case you ever decide to read it. But I do want you to look at this dialogue. As you can see uh, in white right there, whenever Adrian asked Dr. Manhattan, uh, I did the right thing, right? It all worked out in the end. And Dr. Manhattan's response in the end... Nothing ends, Adrian. Nothing ever ends. And that's pretty much the plight of the United States as we head towards the modern day. Um, Although the Cold War has indeed ended, it's as though the same trials and issues are still being fought. You know, all those major attitudes, all those, those four major concepts, the four major developments that we talked about early in the class here, that are kind of the guiding principles behind what goes on from the U.S. from 1945 to present, they never go away. And I want you to keep this in mind as we talk about the modern day. And we're going to be talking about stuff that happened while you were alive. Um, at some point during this class, I'll be getting the stuff that you may remember. I believe we, we discussed in this class, pretty much everybody was alive by the year 2000 in this class. Maybe some of you were born in 2000, 2001. I know we said everybody was born around 9-11, but y'all might have been very little. And so as we go towards 2000... There is a little bit of trepidation. I mean, it is the year 2000. It's a new millennium. Uh, there was a fear of Y2K. Uh, Y2K was a computer bug or kind of an oversight, whereas a computer would not know what year it is proper. It uh, might think it's 1900 instead of 2000. There's a lot of trepidation about what was going to happen. You know, would planes fall out of the sky? Would bank account information be secure? Um... It could have been legitimate. What actually does happen is there's a lot of work by a lot of different computer people, computer different technicians. Uh, They barely make it a blip. Um, Now, some people say that it was, oh, it was nothing big to talk about, but it could have been something big. It's actually, a lot of people did a lot of work to help make YTK not a big thing. And this kind of goes into this whole end of history thing. This kind of reaffirms the idea that America can stand up to pretty much any threat, You know, America's not going to have existential crises. Anything that happens, we can make into almost nothing. You know, Y2K could have been something major. We turned it into nothing. Reaffirms that the U.S. is a hurrah, hurrah, good country, and that the 90s were a nice time to be. Uh, Something that does happen, however, uh, the day before 2000, so December 31st, 1999, uh, Boris Yeltsin, remember him, you know, the fun, drunk guy, he actually resigns as president of the Russian Federation. Uh, This is actually a surprise. This is a big surprise. I mean, everybody knew he'd been in office for a while. Uh, There's some trepidation after he announces his resignation about who is going to become the new president. Uh, They have an election. The new guy who wins, if you go over one slide, is Vladimir Putin. You see him and Yeltsin together. Uh, Putin is a very interesting guy to bring into this. Uh, Vladimir Putin was the former head of the KGB. Uh, I've if this was a Cold War class, I would have had to talk about the KGB quite a bit, but this was a 1945 to present class with heavy emphasis on the Cold War, so I haven't really talked about the KGB too much. Uh, the KGB is kind of like the Soviets' uh, analog to the CIA. It's their intelligence agency. Uh, it's known for being quite brutal, uh, known for being you know very ruthless when it comes to getting information from its spies and whatnot. Um, Putin had been the head of it. He is... I wouldn't say I was on communist because he's made quite a bit of money in capitalism. However, he is very much an old school cold warrior. And the thing with Putin is, if you haven't noticed, he's still leading Russia. Um, he's president for two terms then he becomes prime minister. Then he becomes president again. And in fact, he has pretty much done the mechanization, with, even in the past semester, of uh, pretty much the Russian parliament has made it so that Putin become pretty much become president for life. So, once again, kind of keep that in mind. That was a bit of a surprise. As we get into the year 2000, though, a lot of the interest goes towards a presidential election. Go over one slide. Uh, this election actually starts out fairly sane, fairly low-key, but it ultimately turned into probably the most bonkers election in recent memory. Um, in a typical world, Al Gore, seen there on the right, would have had a fairly easy path through the White House, uh, the economy was quite good. Remember, we still have the surpluses. In fact, what to do with the surplus becomes a major campaign issue. And voters typically reward incumbents for prosperity, um, or the incumbent party. Uh, remember, the 90s were really good economically. You know, vote Clinton always had fairly good approval numbers. Even though the impeachments have happened, Clinton was very popular. Uh, Gore himself had a rather unremarkable vice presidency, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, he didn't really distinguish himself for anything as vice president. He had a few little initiatives. Um, nothing too major, nothing too earth-shattering. Um, which once again, that's not necessarily bad for a vice president. Generally, you want your vice president to just stay alive and stay low-key. Uh, Gore's background, he had been in the Senate for a little while before this. Um, he's actually the son of another Senator, another Gore. And he's part of the old Southern Democrats, all right? He's an old Southern Democrat. Uh, He's still kind of in the Jimmy Carter vein, kind of moderate, not especially liberal. He does have a few gaffes, quote-unquote. For instance, he says that the uh, the movie Love Story was based upon he and his wife Tipper. Uh, That actually does have a grain of truth in it. Uh, The person who wrote Love Story does mention that... um, the story of basically a really uh, a young man from a really rich family falling in love with a woman from a not so wealthy family it is kind of like Al and Tipper um, when they were in college. Al Gore was you know pretty elite, and Tipper was just from a I think from an ordinary middle class family. Likewise, uh, this is not really a gaffe, but interesting fact about Al Gore: uh, his college roommate was Tommy Lee Jones, the actor, which I always find really interesting. The problem with Gore. You know, like I said, this would have been a very easy election. The problem with Gore, it, it's 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 not really a problem, but the thing that Gore has going against him, not even anything really his fault, but it's Bill Clinton. Uh, Bill Clinton is the proverbial albatross around his neck. Uh, Clinton had scandals, and there is a huge backlash against Clinton and Clinton's ilk. Remember, you know, even though Clinton was not impeached for having an affair with Monica Lewinsky... Um, it wasn't as though people approved of the affair. Likewise, they didn't exactly approve of Clinton's morality. You know, even though he had fairly high approval numbers, it wasn't for things like moral issues. It was mainly just because the economy was so good. And Gore has to tiptoe a line that most other vice presidential candidates, well, vice presidents running for president, don't have to do. He can't fully embrace Clinton, because if he fully embraces Clinton, that also comes with Clinton's scandals. Yeah, That comes with Clinton's uh, moral lapses, which is something that might you know, jettison his candidacy. But at the same time, he can't completely distance himself from Clinton, too, because he is running on the kind of like, hey, let's keep the status quo, the economy's pretty prosperous, and that's really part of Clinton's doing. Uh, oh yeah, another gaffe that Gore has, I don't think I said this earlier, it's kind of dubious, though. Uh, he says that he invented the Internet, or he was part of the initiative that invented the Internet. Uh, what Gore probably meant with that, was that there was uh, some bills in Congress uh, to fund the Internet that Gore, you know, helped pass. That's not exactly inventing the Internet, though. So that, that's Al Gore for you. Uh, Gore is really trying to r- walk a very narrow line between embracing Clinton but keeping away from the scandals, but also embracing the fact that the economy was doing pretty good, and he wants to tap into that prosperity. Uh, meanwhile, the Republicans have picked up on an unlikely, yet somehow likely candidate. That'd be George W. Bush. That is the son of George H. W. Bush, who we talked about a couple classes ago. Uh, George W. Bush is the son, as I said, of George H. W. Bush, He'd be the first direct line uh, president from another president since uh, sorry, William Henry Harrison was the grandfather and his grandson, Benjamin Harrison. Um, uh, you, the thing you probably only remember about William Henry Harrison was that he died in 30 days. He also had a kid who had a kid named Benjamin Harrison. Benjamin Harrison was indeed president. Uh, the only other time we've had a father-son president is going to be John Adams and John Quincy Adams, uh, both of whom got one term. Uh, W, like I said, he is the unlikely choice for the Bush family. Um, If you had asked who was going to be president from the Bush family other than, you know, which Bush son would get it, probably everybody would have said Jeb. Uh, Jeb Bush seemed to get most of the political genes. Jeb had been the longtime governor of Florida. Uh, Jeb had designs of becoming president. That was not anything uh, really a secret. Uh, George W. Bush started out in the oil business, kind of like his dad, um... He's mainly known, before he becomes governor of Texas, for being the director of operations for the Texas Rangers baseball team. Um, not exactly a political background. Uh, however, Texas, which remember Texas was a was and is a southern state. If you don't know Texas is a southern, I pity you, because Texas is. Uh, Texas starts in the early 90s kind of going towards Republican. Kind of like the rest of the South, kind of switching parties. The electorate is kind of going in a different way. Uh, W runs for governor in 1994 of Texas against Ann Richards, who's a very popular uh, lady Democrat. Uh, He actually wins the election. He wins election in 1994. He actually wins re-election in 1998. Uh, It seems likely for him to kind of look towards the White House. People are a little surprised because they thought uh, Jeb would be first. And also, only eight years after his dad was president looks a little pushy. Uh, That is a really quick turnaround. Between you know one family becoming president and then you know the, a child becoming president as well. However, W does have some pretty strong um, elements. Uh, the primary is pretty easy for him. He goes up against John McCain and Alan Keyes, uh, neither of whom are that much challenge. Uh, likewise, uh, Gore is that much challenge in the primary either. Uh, w has name recognition. He has access to his father's friends and more importantly their checkbooks. And he has credibility from the Christian right. Uh, George W. Bush is, well, claims to be, claims to be? Well, he he claims that he is a born-again Christian, which appeals to the religious right. He is only the second born-again president that we have, Uh, the only other one being Jimmy Carter. Uh, We've talked about born-again Christians before. It's a different version of Christianity, really putting emphasis on the um, conversion experience. Uh, Pretty much all other presidents have been Christian in some form or fashion. Uh, You you might have a maybe with William Howard Taft. He was a universalist, which such people don't consider to be Christian. And uh, Ronald Reagan was a nominal Christian. Um, He claimed to be Christian. He was very well-loved by the religious right. However, Reagan's own religious beliefs were kind of not too uh, orthodox. Uh, However, uh, George W. Bush claims he had born-again Christian. He uh, credits his conversion experience... We're helping him get clean from drugs. Um, Bush had a history with drugs and partying beforehand. However, he said that his faith was what uh, changed him. And I also should mention that he is a southerner. Uh, this is a this is an election where we have two southerners going against each other, and the Republican Party's base is really becoming the South. Uh, that is something as you're going to see as we go on. Is that you know Republican Party really depends upon the South for its electorate. Uh, there are two other candidates I want you to know about. For the Green Party, you have Ralph Nader. Uh, Ralph Nader is a uh, consumer advocate. Uh, basically, he, he got known in the 70s for like doing exposés against car companies for, driving, uh, for manufacturing unsafe cars. Uh, the Green Party is to the left of the Democratic Party. Uh, there are accusations that Nader siphoned votes away from Gore, which prevented Gore from winning. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, the other one you need to know about, though, is Pat Buchanan. Uh, Pat Buchanan, as you may recall... Uh, was primary challenger in 1996 for the Republican Party against Bob Dole. Uh, he is picked to lead the Reform Party. Uh, the Reform Party, remember that is Ross Perot's uh, political party. Perot, after losing in '96, decided that he is not going to run again. In fact, he only recently died. I want to say Ross Perot died within the past like two, three years. However, uh, he thinks the Reform Party still has a movement. He picks Pat Buchanan. Uh, Pat Buchanan runs a very hard right campaign for the Reform Party. Uh, He makes immigration a major issue. He says we need to, like, get rid of uh, legal and illegal immigration to the United States. Uh, Immigrants are taking over too many resources. Uh, What's interesting about this for the Reform Party is that uh, Pat Buchanan actually almost doesn't get the nomination for the Reform Party. He has a very strong challenger from, if you go over one more slide, uh, Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump actually runs for president in 2000. Um, Trump is an interesting person to run for president in this time period. Uh, he had had designs of politics. That's something he had said since the 80s, was that maybe he might consider running for president. Uh, most people just thought of it as self-promotion. However, uh, Trump really kind of amps it up in 2000, thanks to what happens in 1998. Go over one slide. You'll see Donald Trump and Jesse Ventura on the right. Now, Jesse Ventura is the most successful candidate the Reform Party has ever had because Jesse Ventura wins. Uh, Jesse Ventura is the Reform Party candidate for governor in the state of Minnesota. Uh, Jesse Ventura is not a lifelong politician. Jesse Ventura is a former professional wrestler. In fact, he was a major professional wrestler. He was even part of the broadcast team with Vince McMahon on very old-school WWF. Um... He was also an actor. He was in Predator. Um, If you've ever seen the movie Predator, uh, Jesse Ventura is the one who goes like, I ain't got time to bleed. I ain't got time to die. That's that's Jesse Ventura. Uh, Ventura runs as governor of Minnesota, and he wins on a third party, kind of for the sheer novelty of it, just the idea that you're having a celebrity running for office, But it's weird that he actually wins. He actually wins, not just based upon his celebrity, but also the Reform Party message of you know limiting government and raising jobs. Now, because of this, there's a lot of, oh my gosh, a celebrity candidate has won, maybe a celebrity candidate can win again. And um, believe it or not, the first person to really get involved in this is not Donald Trump, but actually Hulk Hogan, who we talked about like two classes ago for the 1980s professional wrestling. Uh, Hulk Hogan, the wrestler... After he sees that, you know, Jesse Ventura wins, he's like, you know what? I was way more popular and successful than Jesse Ventura ever was. I could become president. And I think Donald Trump is also on this track, too. And so in 2000, they are, you know, running for, well, Trump is running against Pat Buchanan. Uh, Trump actually goes against Pat Buchanan saying he's too hard on immigrants, which we'll see what happens with that. Uh, The campaign itself is very low key between Bush and Gore. Uh, the main issue is what to do with the government surplus. Uh, as you recall, um, because of the economy re- being really good and Clinton cutting taxes and stuff like that, the federal government had a surplus. It had an excess of money. Uh, right now, the federal government runs deficits. You know, we, we spend more money than we take up in taxes, and so we have to raise more money through bonds and stuff like that. However, in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, the government actually had more money than it was spending in a year. And there was a big question about what to do with that extra money. Uh, Gore said they needed to put it in a lockbox for, to help save Social Security. He's like, hey, if the government has extra money, we should save it. We should you know, hold on to it, let it accumulate interest, use that to help pay off Social Security. Once uh, the baby boomers start retiring, we should probably do something like that for Social Security. Uh, Bush and Republicans, on the other hand, they thought, Basically, the idea that we have surpluses demonstrate the government's taking too much money in with taxes. We need to lower taxes, but also give that surplus back to the taxpayers. It's their rightful money. Uh, Bush does differ, though, for other Republican policy. He is what he calls a compassionate conservative. Uh, He wants to soften the harshness of people like Gingrich. Uh, He advocates keeping some social programs, but to privatize others... And the onus is to get people off. He's like, you know, we want people on welfare, but we want to help people get off of welfare. Also privatize it so the government is spending less money. This really puts governments in a bit of a pickle. Uh, Governments? Voters. Puts voters in a bit of a pickle. Uh, They're a dead heat, like going up into November. Uh, People like the ideas of Bush. Uh, I mean, come on, who doesn't like lowering their taxes? But also, they really couldn't disagree with the prosperity and successes of Gore. And also, who doesn't like saving Social Security? I mean, those are two very popular things. Uh, If anybody here is thinking of running for office and says, hey, I'm going to save Social Security but lower taxes, you'll probably win. So come Election Day, uh, Gore narrowly wins the popular vote. It's a very narrow margin uh, that Gore wins the popular vote. However, it is America, so that doesn't matter. Uh, The Electoral College vote is way too close to call. It is way too close to call, particularly due to Florida. Um, earlier on election night, uh, Gore actually conceded the election. He called to thank Bush. However, once it showed that the votes were razor thin in Florida, he kind of recanted it and said, let's see what happens in Florida. Uh, Bush had won Florida by less than a 1,000 votes. Like, that is nothing. That is a sliver of a fraction of a percent of a margin of victory, and it's only natural that there would be a recount. In fact, because the vote was so close an automatic recount was triggered. And one county in particular, Palm Beach County, had all sorts of wackiness. It was a combination of, they had what's called the butterfly ballot, which some people thought was confusing of a ballot. Um, it had the names alternating from right to left, and you voted in the center, so the name that was listed second on the left side may not be the hole that had a line go into it. A uh, little confusing, I suppose. Also, you do have a larger percentage of older voters in Palm Beach County who might have gotten confused and in addition uh, the votes went a little bit more heavily Republican than people expected Palm Beach County is fairly staunchly Democrat however Republicans won so that was something that was kind of um, unusual not only that you have all this junk about hanging chads dimpled chads Um, if you don't know what a hanging chad is ask your parents or your older siblings they might remember if you have a more slide I just say Florida just just Florida because that's what happens. Uh, both campaigns send over lawyers for the recount. Uh, this process takes over a month. There's about a month long uh, in the United States where we do not know who is going to become President of the United States even though uh, inauguration is mandated uh, on a certain date by the Constitution. Uh, I remember during this time period a friend of mine in my uh, in my sociology class she had tickets to the inauguration. And, you know, she had gotten tickets for the inauguration through some sort of youth program or something like that. And she was like, yeah, we're, we're going. I, I don't know who's going to be inaugurated, but I guess I'll watch somebody be inaugurated. If not, I guess I get a trip to D.C. out of this. Uh, it was crazy. I remember it getting close to Christmas and us not knowing who was going to win. Likewise, there were lawsuits. There was all sorts of, like, you know, protests about who's, who's doing the counting, you know, what's their political affiliation. Uh, If you look at the guy on the right, that's John Bolton. Uh, John Bolton um, later becomes, well, John Bolton has been around. Um, (laughs) He's a modern political figure. Uh, Fun fact about John Bolton, he is my father's doppelganger. Like, legitimately. Like, he, (laughs) my dad looks more like John Bolton than I look like Macaulay Culkin when I was a kid, and I look just like Macaulay Culkin when I was a kid. It is eerie how much John Bolton looks like my dad. Like, if you saw my dad, you'd be like, oh my god, it's John Bolton. Uh, ultimately, this goes to the Supreme Court. If you go over one more slide, you will see it goes to the Supreme Court. And in a split decision, 5-4, to four, the Supreme Court says basically uh, the recount has to stop and all the Electoral College votes should go to Bush. Uh, this upsets a lot of Democrats. A lot of Democrats say, you know, Bush stole the election. This was unfair. Likewise, the justices voted pretty much primarily on uh, the person who appointed them lines, um, I could argue that another modern development of the United States is the uh, politicalization and the partisanization of the Supreme Court, but I just don't have the time. But ask me about that whenever we get pizza sometime. I swear, that time we get pizza is going to be asked in like eight hours. Uh, after this, Bush v. Gore. Uh, Gore does indeed conceive the election. He concedes it fairly gracefully. He says, I could fight it more, but we've already gone to the Supreme Court. We should just get on with life. Uh, this resentment does continue throughout Bush's early term. The, the idea that, you know, Bush had stolen the election, he's not legitimate. Um, likewise, this kind of cripples Bush early on because Bush does not come in with a mandate. If you see his inauguration, he does not have a mandate by any by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, and he can't say that a majority of the population voted him in. I mean, you'd have people barely win the electoral college before, but they'd have, you know, majorities of the popular vote. Uh, this is one of those times where basically the winner of the popular vote does not get the Electoral College. Uh, the main thing Bush does early on is he gets some tax cuts passed. Uh, he says this solves a surplus issue. Uh, by cutting taxes, we're not going to have another surplus. Um, so basically we're, we're doing right by the taxpayers. And he's doing pretty much standard Republican policy. Now we come to the thing that really changes the tenor of everything, and that would be September 11th. Uh, it should be noted that the September 11th attacks didn't come out of nowhere. Um, for instance, in 1993, there was a truck bombing. If you go over one a slide, you will see the, the results of that. In 1993, the World Trade Center kills about six people. Uh, this one was not done directly by bin Laden, but rather by some people who had been affiliated with him. Uh, however, it was pretty evident that, uh, you know, bin Laden did not think very much of the World Trade Center and wanted his target. I bet you're wondering, hey, who is Osama bin Laden? Well, if you go over one more slide, you'll see a picture of him. Uh, Osama bin Laden, uh, this is a very short answer. Once again, during our pizza party, if you want me to talk about bin Laden, I can. Well, that makes me sound like I know him. I, I don't know him, but like I, I know about him. Uh, He's from a fairly wealthy Saudi family. He's not part of the Saudi royal family. That's some misinformation that came out uh, around around the time of the attacks. However, he does come from a pretty wealthy family in Saudi Arabia. Uh, He becomes more radicalized in time. Uh, He starts out getting a fairly standard Western education. I think he was even in England for a little while for part of his schooling. However, he gets a bit more radicalized as time goes on. Uh, He starts out in the 1980s trying to funnel money and supplies to the mujim, who is the ones fighting against the Soviets. Remember, the Soviet invasion is something that people don't like, and a lot of people are sending money to help support the, those who are fighting against the Soviets, including the Americans, uh, by the way. However, in time, he finds that pretty much all Western countries are not good. Uh, he, doesn't, he comes not to like the United States. Um, It's ironic because during the 80s he is getting some training and some uh, assistance, financial and weapons assistance, from the CIA. So this is not to say that Osama Bin Laden was a CIA puppet or plant or anything like that. Just saying he was one of many people who got support from the CIA during the Cold War. Uh, Bin Laden would later on form his own group, which was called Al-Qaeda, which is uh, Arabic for the camp. Uh, which is a terrorist organization. It's also a terrorist training organization. That's what it's mainly known for. Um, He differs from other Islamic radical terrorists because he thinks that civilians are legitimate targets in jihad. Uh, Most other jihadists say that, uh, you know, don't mess with civilians, women, children, sick people, that sort of thing. Uh, Just focus on the soldiers and, you know, the men. Uh, he also believes that the West is corrupt for various reasons. Um, you know, it's it's too secular, uh, degrading to women, stuff like that. Uh, as time goes on throughout the late 80s, early 90s, he starts funding more terrorist activities out around the world. Uh, however, by and large, he keeps his own hands clean. He very rarely, I don't want to say never, but very rarely is he the one actually planting the bomb or really planning the terrorist activity. Uh, Generally, he's more of a financier, and he's somebody who facilitates others' ideas. Uh, He does get kicked out of Saudi Arabia fairly early in the 90s uh, for criticizing the Saudi royal family for its alliance with the United States. Uh, He is not alone in doing that. There's a lot of people who do not like the Saudi royal family for getting so cozy with the United States. Um, Bin Laden bounces around for a while. I think he goes to the Sudan for quite a while. Uh, later on, he does end up in Afghanistan, uh, where he's taken in by the Taliban. Now, the Taliban is a word that means students. Uh, it's Arabic for students. They're the ones who kind of take over Afghanistan once the uh, Russians leave. Uh, they are elements of the Mujahideen. It is not the same thing as a Mujahideen. That is a completely different thing. But there are definitely some members, there's some elements of it. Um... So whenever you hear people say things like, oh, yeah, you know, the U.S. was supporting the Taliban and the Taliban turned against us. Not quite. We were supporting the Mujahideen, some of whom became the Taliban. But it, it's not a one-to-one thing. Now, the thing about bin Laden, he doesn't really want a full-scale war with the United States. Um, he, he doesn't think that he's really meant to do that. Likewise, he doesn't think the terrorist attacks in of themselves are really going to cause the U.S. to fall apart. Uh, mainly, his goal is to kind of goad the U.S. into a very long and expensive war. Uh, kind of the same thing that the uh, Viet Cong does during, during Vietnam. The idea being, he thinks if you know, you know, attack certain terrorist targets, uh, you know, make the U.S. get involved with, uh, you know, he doesn't very care. He doesn't care too much for globalism. Uh, the World Trade Center is a symbol of globalism basically go to the U.S. and do a very expensive war, make it go on for years and years. In time, the U.S. is going to run out of money that's going to hurt prosperity. The citizens will turn against it. I don't think he really thinks there's going to be like a, you know, a major Muslim conversion within the United States. However, he thinks it might bring about the downfall of the United States or just making them not as powerful of a country. Now, I, do, I should mention, the United States is indeed aware of Osama bin Laden. Uh, he'd done various terrorist attacks around the world, uh, probably the bombing of the USS Cole was his biggest attack before this, uh, was pretty open about wanting to hit the United States. Um, remember, he very rarely does it himself, but kind of like a mafia boss or something. You know, he, he won't do the killing himself, but he might, uh, you know, tell somebody to do that or might provide a gun to help somebody kill somebody. Likewise, Bush was indeed uh, briefed about Osama bin Laden a couple times, Uh, During the morning security, national security briefing, they had some stuff like, hey, bin Laden's probably going to try to attack within the United States. Um, This has been overblown. I don't think he knew exactly when and where that um, bin Laden was going to attack. I don't think anybody in the intelligence community knew that. Because if they did, they would have done something. I mean, sorry, conspiracy theorists, but that's probably what would have happened. Now, as I mentioned, bin Laden was not the one doing the attacking. Uh, The attackers, if you go over one more slide, you'll see their pictures. Uh, they were primarily Saudis. Uh, I'd say of the 19 attackers, I believe like 15 or so were actually Saudi nationals. A few are from Lebanon and the UAE. Uh, they are led by the guy on the top right, uh, Mohammed uh, Atad, who was an Egyptian, actually. Uh, they had been in the U.S. for a while before this. Most of them were fairly young. I believe the youngest was 20, and Atan was the oldest. I believe he was like 30, 32, something like that. Uh, the 19 attackers had been in the U.S. for quite a while, uh, they they were taking flight lessons. Uh, you could tell this is a pretty well organized plan. Uh, like I said, 19 attackers in all, split onto four different planes. Uh, two of them were from left from Boston towards Los Angeles. Uh, I think one left from Dallas, and the other from Newark. I think uh, you know what I don't hold me to that, but I, I want to say two are from Logan, one was from Dallas, one was from Newark. Uh, what you need to know: two of them hit the. Um, the World Trade Center, Tower 1, Tower 2. Another one hits the Pentagon. Another one was probably going to hit the White House or the Capitol. Uh, however, it was taken down by passengers into a field in Pennsylvania. Uh, this was the last, and the passengers had already heard about the attacks. Um, even though they were in the air once the attack started, um, they were able to hear from like cell phones or calling from the, from the, uh, from the airplane about the various attacks, and they, they learned that, uh, you know, bad things were going on across the country. Uh, the impact was immediate. The impact was immediate. Uh, and the nation watched it on TV. Um, if you ask anybody who was, like, alive, alive during 9-11, uh, who, could, like, has memories of 9-11, uh, kind of like the Kennedy assassination or something, they could tell you exactly where they were. Uh, I was in high school at the time period. It was actually my senior year of high school. I was in my third-hour U.S. history class, and I remember um, they didn't even give an announcement, but a, but a student came into class, I actually remember her pretty well, Sheena, and she's like, hey, uh, she was an office aide. She's like, hey, there was a terrorist attack in New York. Uh, they, they flew airplanes into the World Trade Center. One of the World Trade Centers has already fallen down. Uh, somebody, we had a TV in the class, we turned it on. Pretty much the rest of the day, all we watched was TV, but I'll never forget, like as soon as we turned it on, there was only one World Trade Center standing. Um, one of the towers had already fallen down. Uh, within 30 minutes or so after that, after we turned it on, the second tower fell down. Uh, mis- A lot of misinformation that day. I just remember it being the weirdest day on the planet. Um, actually, I remember watching the attacks. I remember watching the aftermath. And I remember thinking, I even said this to my friend Austin, who was sitting in front of me in history class. I remember saying, uh, this was too big for bin Laden. I mean, we had heard of Osama bin Laden before, and I remember thinking, like, this has to be another country. Like yes, I know Osama bin Laden doesn't like the U.S. very much, but something this big on this scale with this level of organization, it, it couldn't have been just bin Laden doing this. But who would attack us? And we don't know this. By the time the dust settles, go have one more slide. Uh, reality starts setting in. Uh, Rudy Giuliani, who had was had been mayor of New York for a while before this, uh, had become became what was known as America's mayor. He becomes very popular. Um, the fact that he's such a partisan figure now is actually kind of surprising Because I remember back in 2001 He was the most popular person on the planet uh, If you had told me that, hey Rudy Giuliani was going to run for president I'd be like, oh yeah, he's, he's going to win Everybody loves Rudy Giuliani uh, George W. Bush, who never had a mandate before Becomes a national figure Now this is not too unusual uh, The idea of rallying around the flag in a time of crisis uh, It's pretty common However, right after 9-11, Bush has some of the highest approval ratings in history. In fact, he has the highest approval ratings. Uh, his approval ratings go up to about 95% overall, with even 80% of Democrats approving of him. Likewise, bipartisanship seemed dead. I, I'm actually glad I found a picture of this. and I even put uh, the caption, a young and naive Dr. Tully thought that partisanship was gone forever after this happened. Um, Congress you know, went on the steps of cap- the steps of the Capitol... They sang God Bless America together and held hands. And I genuinely felt when I saw this, that partisanship was dead. This was probably late September 2001, maybe early October. I genuinely thought for the rest of my life we wouldn't have partisanship. I really thought that. But as time went on, it did become evident that Bin Laden did this. Uh, Bin Laden claims credit for it. They also had intelligence saying it was Al-Qaeda that was behind it and that the Taliban is providing him haven. And Bush says, hey, uh, we're going to retaliate against te- terrorists and also those who are harboring terrorists. That's how we get into the war in Afghanistan. Go over one more slide. That's pictures of the Taliban. Uh, Bush gives the Taliban an ultimatum. Turn over bin Laden, and if, and if you don't turn over bin Laden, risk invasion. Uh, the Taliban refuses, and on October seventh, two 2001, The U.S. starts bombing Taliban and uh, Al-Qaeda targets within Afghanistan. Uh, This was not too controversial. You don't have much backlash against this. Pretty much everybody across the world was in agreement, hey, the U.S., uh, you know, they got hurt. That was a low blow. Likewise, the Taliban, nobody was really fond of the Taliban. Nobody was really fond about Osama bin Laden. This does go on for a few months, and the U.S. actually has a large amount of international support and sympathy. However, uh, this... The bombing doesn't go on too long. The ground war doesn't go over too, too long. And when the gr- dust settles, it becomes pretty evident that bin Laden's not there. You know, and likewise, even though they got rid of the Taliban, uh, they didn't really know what to do with rebuilding the government in Afghanistan. So now the U.S. has to figure out how are we going to do this whole, you know, keep the insurgencies at bay, you know, figure out where al-Qaeda is, find bin Laden, and also rebuild the government. Uh, this is not a quick process. In fact, it's still going on. Um, we're closing in on 20 years that the U.S. has been in Afghanistan. This is by far the U- longest war in U.S. history. Uh, you could easily have like a soldier who started in 2001 and now their child could be going to Afghanistan uh, to fight in that war. However, uh, Bush expands in 2002, in early 2002, in the State of the Union. Uh, he expands... Uh, this war on terror include what, oh, there goes my microphone put it back up there yeah, there's Mister microphone. Uh, he expands the war on terror to include what he calls the Axis of Evil. Uh, the Axis of Evil being Iran, Iraq, and North Korea. Now Iran and North Korea are not too big of a surprise. Uh, Iraq is a little surprising uh, in that you know we'd already gone to war in Iraq. And his dad had decided we should not try to invade Iraq. However, um, there had been talk for a while of getting rid of Saddam. Clinton never really, really went down with it. Um, however, uh, there was talk about Saddam Hussein not being a very nice guy. Uh, talk of him of having weapons of mass destruction. In fact, to try to get justification for the invasion, um, Bush sends over Colin Powell, if you remember from the '90s class, was very well respected. Um, was the ideal candidate to run for president in 96. Uh, He becomes national security advisor and I believe he's secretary of state in this time period for Bush. Uh, He goes to the UN to justify why the US should be here. He gives all this evidence of the Iraqis and Saddam having weapons of mass destruction. Uh, Does Saddam have nuclear weapons? (coughs) That's a very complex claim. He tried to present evidence that, you know, Iraq was trying to enrich uranium. Uh, The threat being if Saddam Hussein were to get nuclear weapons, uh, not really a fear that he would use them, more of a fear that he would sell them to somebody like Al-Qaeda. Saddam had used chemical weapons in the past against uh, ethnic minorities in Iraq, so the idea that him having other weapons was not too, too unusual. Uh, however, unlike Afghanistan, the U.S. was not getting widespread international support for this. Pretty much, just England supported the United States in this. Uh, one country who did not support the U.S. was the U.S.'s oldest ally. Uh, if you talk about who is the oldest ally to the United States, that'd be France, and France wasn't having it. France is like, yeah, you know, we're with you if Afghanistan, we're with you for the first Iraq War because you know Saddam Hussein invaded. However, we think this evidence is kind of lacking. Why are we just going to invade Iraq? We're not going to support you. This calls an anti-French backlash for about a year, resulting in, I swear to you, this was a thing for about a year, freedom fries. That's right. French fries were deemed unpatriotic, so we had American freedom fries. Uh, that, I swear to you, was a real thing. Uh, the invasion of Iraq begins in March of 2003. I was in college when this started. It's actually my freshman year of college. Um, at first it seems pretty quick uh, the US invades Baghdad Baghdad? Baghdad uh, Saddam and his sons Uday and Kuse flee fairly early on they knock down Saddam's statue uh, by May of 2003 Bush goes on an aircraft carrier on a fighter jet uh, with the banner mission accomplished you're going to watch a little bit of that video Basically saying, hey, we've, we've won the war in Iraq. Everything's great. We're going to make a new country out of it. You know, we're gonna, you know the new Iraqi government's going to come into place. It's going to be wonderful. Is it premature? Yeah. Um, Saddam was still out there. And also, they were never able to find the weapons of mass destruction. The WMDs never really uh, came about. Plus, like Afghanistan, the whole stabling the region thing is hard. And the groups in Iraq really don't like each other. I've mentioned before... Iraq is basically some lines the British drew, drew around three groups of people who really don't like each other and have kind of been forced to be together for the past hundred or so years. Um, if you have friends or family who've been to Iraq for, um, you know, for, for military service, they will tell you it's not a simple conflict. It's not like oh these are the good guys, these are the bad guys. Kind of hard on the ground. Likewise, it. it It's very difficult. I'll just say that. Uh, The U.S. does stay in Iraq. It's starting to look endless. Uh, The Iraq war is technically over now, even though we still have some troops there. Uh, Afghanistan is theoretically still going on, even though I know Donald Trump has talked about uh, negotiating with the Taliban for a total pullout. Hasn't happened yet. Uh, Still, the election 2004 is coming up. This one's fairly basic. Although a war, or possibly two, is going on. And there are a lot of issues with civil liberties. Uh, For instance, uh, Abu Ghraib had come out. That was a prison where they found out that things were not that great there. The U.S. is not being very nice to prisoners. Also, Guantanamo Bay was opened up. Uh, That's a prison in Cuba for the most dangerous of terrorists. In addition, the Patriot Act was passed uh, right in the aftermath of 9-11. That uh, allowed the U.S. government a lot of surveillance, either over siblings without a warrant or people's knowledge. Uh, It still holds at most time in U.S. elections, people don't switch incumbents mid-war. And also, Bush reminded Americans a lot about 9-11 during the campaign. The idea being like, you know, a vote for Bush is a vote for the guy who helped us during 9-11. The Democrats nominate John Kerry. John Kerry was uh, picked because he indeed had military service. Uh, He got medals of honor in Vietnam. He's a longtime senator. Uh, This is the contrast himself with Bush. Uh, Bush technically had no military service. He had been part of the Air National Guard during Vietnam. However, he never actually served overseas. Uh, Bush is able to eke out the popular vote in 2004. What's unique about this, he's the only Republican since 1988 to win the popular vote. Uh, since 1988, every election, a Republican has not won the popular vote. Uh, now, we've had some Republican presidents in there, but that's because the Electoral College, so... You know, Bush wins without getting the popular vote in 2000, Obama in oh eight, Obama in 12, Trump wins in 16 without getting the popular vote. And now we get into Bush's second term. Uh, Iraq tends to be an issue. It's still an issue. Uh, to help stabilize the region, uh, Bush says for a troop surge, basically increasing the number of troops in Iraq. Uh, It does help stabilize the region. How Also, it increases the amount of American deaths. Uh, Also, the war continues to cost money. The war costs a lot of money uh, for not much benefit. Uh, This keeps going longer and longer. Uh, Saddam Hussein is ultimately captured and executed about a year or two after the uh, invasion starts. That doesn't do anything to really help stabilize the region. Um, Afghanistan is still an issue, too. Uh, It doesn't seem as pressing as Iraq. However, it's continuing to cost a great deal of money. This really comes into play in 2005 with Katrina. Uh, hurricane Katrina is a hurricane in the Gulf, which I'd say y'all remember, but you were probably like six years old or five years old or even four years old wherever Katrina happened. So I should probably mention a little bit about it. Uh, a hurricane in the Gulf of Mexico is not unusual. I, I know you lived through hurricanes. I mean, you're from South Louisiana. You live through hurricanes. Uh, having a hurricane is not too unusual. Um... Katrina itself was a very strong storm. It actually made landfall not in New Orleans, but a little to the east, uh, near Ocean Springs, Mississippi, around Gulfport. However, New Orleans was on the stronger side of the storm, was on the west side of the storm. And also, New Orleans, geographically, is not good for hurricanes because it's a bowl. Um, New Orleans is theoretically below sea level. It's about six feet below sea level, and it's protected by a bunch of levees. Plus, you got, like, Lake Pontchartrain on one side, you got the Mississippi River on the other side. Um, yeah, it's pretty much in a bowl surrounded by water. So the hurricane was pretty bad. What really hit New Orleans, hurt New Orleans was when the levees broke. Uh, the levees broke. this floods huge sections of the city, primarily lower income housing, um, lower lying areas. Uh, places like the French Quarter and uh, you know St. Charles Garden District. those are built upon the high ground. Uh, before we built the levees and we had the Army Corps of Engineers, uh, the Mississippi River flooded fairly regularly. However, after 1928, uh, the really bad flood of 1928, uh, they built a whole ton of levees to make sure it didn't flood again. Uh, this resulted in some land being like kind of drained out. That's where they built the Lower Ninth Ward and stuff like that. It was land that was otherwise floodland or marshland, but because of the levees, they are able to clear it away. So what ends up happening here is the flood... Flood and hurricane disproportionately impacts lower-income people. And the federal response was deemed underwhelming, due uh, partially because of the extent of the damage. They said it, they said it was just too little for the damage. And also, Bush is blamed for a lot of it. Uh, there's criticism about, you know, George Bush doesn't care about black people. That's something Kanye West says, especially when Kanye West comes to national attention, unless you're me and I've been listening to him for a while. Um, also, um, there are accusations but the U.S.'s uh, lack of response is because so much of our resources are being used in Iraq and Afghanistan. The idea being, if we weren't at war with Iraq and Afghanistan, we'd have tons of money and tons of troops, and we could airlift everything in and save New Orleans. Uh, this comes all down on Bush. It makes Bush look very unpopular. Although the economy is theoretically doing okay, it's not doing as good as it was in the 90s. It's doing all right. That lasts until two, early 2008 when the Great Recession happens. Uh, The housing market crashes. This causes a recession. Bush looks pretty much uh, helpless to stop it. Uh, What he's able to do, he does things like stimulus checks, which uh, don't really do all that much in this time period. Uh, The Great Recession is pretty bad. It's the worst one we've had since 1929. Uh, Theoretically, the one we're in right now might actually be worse, but we're in such uncharted territory with the coronavirus. Uh, Bush ends his term uh, as a fairly unpopular president, fairly partisan. Um, he was never again as popular as he was right after 9-11. Uh, the gas of his second term really dominate his legacy. Uh, you know, the Katrina thing, uh, the Great Recession really hurts him. Likewise, all that talk about Iraq and Iran, uh, not Iran, Iraq and Afghanistan. And now we're getting to the point where I'm going to start to get fairly broad since we're getting very close to the modern day and it's not a lot of time to get perspective. But in 2008, you got Obama. Uh, Obama comes into the White House in 2008. That might be something else you remember. Uh, the Republicans, it's interesting because Republicans don't have an on deck president uh, for 2008. Uh, the vice president under Bush was Dick Cheney. Uh, Dick Cheney was both older and less popular than Bush. And Bush was not very popular in the first place, and um, Cheney was actually less so. So he's not going to run for president. Uh, The Republicans ultimately go with John McCain. Uh, John McCain is seen as a maverick. He's also seen as fairly old. Uh, He's also seen as very moderate. He's something that the Republican base is not very fired up about. Um, McCain, if you go over one more slide, he picks Sarah Palin as his running mate, mainly to help... um, bolster up the Republican hard-right conservative base. Like I said, this has been done before, over the course of our class, uh, think about whenever Dwight Eisenhower picked Richard Nixon. Also, Sarah Palin is the first uh, lady vice presidential nominee for the Republican Party. First one for the Democrats was Joan Uh The Democrats have an on-deck opponent with, uh, on-deck, woo, on-deck candidate with Hillary Clinton. Uh, However, Hillary Clinton does come with baggage as well. She's kind of a polarizing figure. Likewise, she has the Clinton baggage as well, just the Bill Clinton albatross, Uh, even though she is air presumptive. Uh, Since not being first lady in 2000, she becomes senator from New York, and it was pretty much seen that it was due for her. Uh, Barack Obama really comes to attention, if you go over one slide, in 2004, the DNC. Um, at the DNC, the Democratic National Convention, he is still a candidate for a senator for the state of Illinois. He gives a speech, which really kind of is his national coming out party. Uh, You'd have to go back to nineteen uh, sixty-four with Ronald Reagan at the RNC for Barry Goldwater, for the last time where you had like pretty much a national coming out party for a candidate. Uh, Barack Obama, he is youngish. He is, I think, late forties, early fifties. Um, he's black or half black, and his mom is white, but he's black enough for the time. Uh, he's really pursuing things like hope and change. That's his big uh, watchwords: is hope and change. Uh, he, he seems as a breath of fresh air. He's like, oh my gosh, Hillary Clinton is so polarizing, but we could go with that Obama figure. Uh, he also gets Oprah's endorsement. Uh, the campaign between McCain and Obama should have been a lot nastier. It's actually not very nasty. Uh, there is a lot of misinformation regarding Obama's background, and his beliefs. Uh, However, the thing that McCain kind of stumbles with, McCain is never able to get the Republican base and the religious right to go along with him. Uh, Even though Sarah Palin is picked to help bolster those numbers, it never really boils down for McCain in that way. McCain's never really able to get those voters, never able to energize them. And so Obama gets both the popular and electoral college votes. Uh, you go over one more page, you will see uh, whoop, Obama versus Clinton, and you go over one more. There's Obama being inaugurated. Now Obama comes into a pretty bad economy, and also people not liking him very much. A bit, a good section of the country doesn't care for him too much. Uh, there's always been rumors about like he's not even American. He was born in Kenya, or he's a secret Muslim, stuff like that. Um, this is due in part because right wing media hasn't even expanded. Also, uh, the iPhone released in 2007. The 2008 election is the first smartphone election. Um, so basically, everybody has the Internet not just on their computer, but now at their fingertips. Um, you may not remember when the iPhone came out, but the iOS was much better of an interface for the Internet than any other phone was before. Uh, also, social media. It's, it's the first presidential election really impacted by social media. Uh, Facebook went public in 2006. Uh, I got my first Facebook account in 2004, 2005. When Facebook first came out, you actually had to have a college email address. It was only on colleges. But by 2006, anybody can join it. Also, Twitter comes out in 2006. So you're having these new technologies. It's kind of a perfect storm to spread memes and misinformation, or not that misinformation, but information uh, contrary to the public narrative. So basically, information is now more decentralized. A lot of chatter, a lot of conspiracy about Obama and his presidency. Uh, Never really goes in very popular with the United States. He's never unpopular, but he's never super popular. Uh, He does come in promising to end the war, also close the imprisonment in Guantanamo Bay. He doesn't really do either. Uh, Bin Laden is killed in 2011 uh, during Obama's first term. Some people say it's too little, too late. By the time uh, bin Laden is found, he's living in Pakistan, and he's not exactly the dynamic leader he was when September 11th happened. Uh, Obama has a fairly re- easy reelection in 2012. Um, he runs against Mitt Romney. The Republicans select Mitt Romney. Uh, Mitt Romney is a fairly rich guy. He's, he's known for owning various uh, you know, firms that are investment firms and stuff. Uh, he also helped uh, do the Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City in 2002. Uh, Mitt Romney's platform is pretty much basic economy stuff. He's going for the idea that Republicans are the party of economics. Uh, he picks Paul Ryan as his running mate. Paul Ryan he used to be Speaker of the House. Uh, Paul Ryan is also very much a money guy. Uh, it's the idea that you know Republicans were just concerned about business. We're not as concerned about, like, you know, I don't want to say morality, but like, you know, social issues. Romney's Achilles' heel though is that he's Mormon. Uh, Mormonism is a belief system which comes out of the United States during the Second Great Awakening. um, In the 1830s, Joseph Smith and Brigham Young moves them over to Utah. Uh, Most evangelical Christians do not consider Mormons to be Christian. Uh, They consider Mormons to be misguided at best and hellspawn at worst. And there's a lot of trepidation about are we comfortable voting a Mormon into office? The other thing that Romney and Ryan have against them is that neither of whom is a Southerner. Uh, Remember, the South was seen as the home of the Democratic Party in this time period. Uh, Sorry, the Republican Party. Woo! Republican Party in this time period. Neither has Southern roots. Neither is really appealing to the religious right. Um, Neither of them are very religious. Uh, I want to say that uh, Ryan is generic religious, generic Christian, but nothing too evangelical. He's not a Borgen like Bush was. Uh, although the Republican Party might claim just to care about money and economics, it's evidence of their base cares more about considerations other than economics and some social issues. Uh, this makes the Republican Party look seemingly more on the outside. Uh, Obama's second term does have some issues. You have the rise of the Tea Party. Um, there are various shootings. Um, Black Lives Matter issues come up. Also, Sandy Hook should be mentioned. That's very early in Obama's second term. Uh, Sandy Hook happens. That's a school shooting that happens at an elementary school. Uh, by the time we get to 2016, the country seemed more polarized than ever. Um, nothing really ever ends. <laughs> uh, there is actually talk, believe it or not, in 2016 that Republicans are dead on the national level. Um, the idea that you know Republicans need to find a new way to get, our, you know, to figure out something. Uh, this really kind of gains traction after Donald Trump, uh, who is a dark horse candidate. Uh, who is bordering on a joke or a publicity stunt when he's running in 2016. Nobody's really taking him seriously. Um, what happens with between 2000 and 2016 is he has a reality show called The Apprentice, which gets Donald Trump a lot more of a profile, and basically the show shows him in the boardroom being an authority figure, and I guess people get the idea that, hey, maybe he could be something that, you know, he could work around. Uh, for the Republicans, the consensus was Jeb Bush was going to become the nominee, uh, voters, however, did not like him. They don't really. They don't seem very enamored of him. And Jeb Bush drops out pretty early. Uh, then they thought maybe um, Ted Cruz or Marco Rubio, who are both fairly youngish and also Latino, would get the rising Hispanic vote. Um, Hispanics are the largest ethnic group, uh, racial group, whatever you want to call it, within the United States. Uh, you know, in the next thirty years or so, they're going to be a majority of the population of the United States. Uh, however, that doesn't really happen because Donald Trump is running a very a divisive campaign, which seems very partisan, very combative, uh, very anti-immigrant, and actually kind of vague on p- specifics, other than just "Make America Great Again" and the idea that uh, we're going to build a wall and Mexico is going to pay for it. He's tapping into the rhetoric of Reagan. I mean, remember "Make America," "Let's Make America Great Again" was Ronald Reagan's slogan for his first campaign. Also, he's really tapping into that Reform Party platform, the kind of nativism keep jobs at home, kind of wary of immigrants, cut the sides of the federal government, drain the swamp mentality. Uh, For the Democrats, Hillary would not be denied. Uh, She cruises to a nomination. Uh, There is a little bit of a kerfuffle because Bernie Sanders is a much more leftist politician early on. However, as time goes on, Hillary gets the vote. However, she is still uh, polarizing. There are questions of her emails, Also, uh, Benghazi, stuff like that. What did she know when she knew when she she was Secretary of State under Obama? Uh, And a fairly big surprise, uh, Donald Trump wins. Donald Trump wins the election in 2016. Uh, This stuns most conventional thinkers, but it shows that there are some deep lines within American that run contrary to the usual mindset. Uh, There's also some evidence, take it as you will, that Russia tried to influence the election, uh, spread dissent through Facebook memes and things like that. Uh, This is actually like... Cold War 101 tactics. The idea of sown dissent, you know, trying to undermine um, respect and credibility or confidence in a government through elections. That's something that they would do. And now, this class kind of ends If this lecture begins. Nothing ever ends. I have the, the frame again of, in the end, nothing ever ends. Nothing ever ends. Uh, those four big issues I talked about, the four guiding principles of this class they're still kind of on. You know, the Cold War is still an issue. I mean, the Cold War ended, the USSR is never around anymore, but there's still distrust of the Russians. There's still saber-rattling against the Russians. Uh, Putin has ruled Russia for 20 years now, and it's looking like he's going to become president for life. You know, you talk about what's going on with the uh, disinformation campaign. You know, is Russia undermining elections? Stuff like that. Uh, For civil rights, that's still very much an issue. Um, you know, the rise of Black Lives Matter, the, the, the talk of, you know, police brutality, school, um, not school shootings, police shootings, things like that. I mean, that happens, that's still something very much debate. It shows that civil rights issues are still being discussed extensively. Uh, you know, the fall of liberalism, the rise of uh, new right conservatism. Uh, although it looked like conservatism might have been dead, uh, you know, in October of 2016, uh, Donald Trump's presidency and election shows that there's still plenty of life in conservatism. However, he is deeply unpopular. Um, He is not having the approval ratings that other Republican presidents have had, even though um, he's using some of the same, well, he's not using the same rhetoric, but his accomplishments, uh, tax cuts, deregulation, and conservative uh, judges, um, would have been done by a conventional Republican candidate, except he's engaging in a lot more rhetoric. Um, You know, even times, whenever it's generally, you know, rally around the flagpole. Um, you know, for for a time of crisis. Uh, Donald Trump has never really gotten above 50% approval rating. Um, Other presidents, even when Bush was unpopular, he still had higher than 50% approval rating. Uh, The rise of technology. Technology has definitely improved quite a bit, but as have its pitfalls. You know, whenever Alan Moore wrote um, Watchmen, he thought the Cold War might have been ended by an existential threat unifying the entire world together. Um, That happens in the short term for 9-11, but not in the long term. And it's not happening for the coronavirus. Uh, Right now, for the coronavirus, uh, there's still some deeply partisan things going on. I I never thought I'd I'd see a pandemic become a partisan issue, but it's happening. We often say, it's an old adage, and it's untrue, that um, history repeats itself. History doesn't repeat itself. If If history repeated itself, I would not have a job. History may not repeat, but it does rhyme, okay? The things that are going on are different than what's going on in the, you know, the height of the Cold War, the height of the Civil Rights Movement, but there's still some of the same notes, some of the same tropes are being reminded. So where will it end? Well, I don't know where it's going to end, but I kind of got to go with Dr. Manhattan on this one. Nothing ends, class. Nothing ever ends. However, we're to the point where it's the modern day, and that's where you get to decide history. So for that, that's actually how I'm going to end this class. Um, I might do a very short podcast later on trying to explain to you the questions for the final exam. In fact, I might do a short little podcast, like five, ten minutes explaining the exam questions. But um, that's what I want you to think about. How do things end? I would say nothing ever ends. Nothing ever ends, class. With that, that's Dr. Tully signing off for the last time. For History327, thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. I hope y'all have enjoyed the podcast. I've enjoyed making them. And I'm serious. uh, We'll do pizza whenever this is all over. Uh, I'll take y'all to pizza. Um, We'll order pizza. We'll get the good pizza. Not Sodexo pizza. We're going to get that good pizza. So talk to you later. Dr. Tully. See ya. Miss y'all. Bye.